Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, working to prepare the next generation of teachers, counselors, and educational leaders through online graduate degrees and hybrid doctoral programs. Details at education.olemiss.edu. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, March 22nd. May 22nd, rather. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, we'll hear from veterans being recognized at the Trail of Honor events. And a look at Mississippi officials and legislators. How are they rated and what issues are most important to the state's voters? Then, as Mississippians turn to water recreation to cool down, find out where researchers say many people are at risk. We hear a lot about children drowning in pools, but in fact, more children drown in open water than they do in pools. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A distinguished group of veterans is in Mississippi to celebrate the annual Trail of Honor, a tribute to U.S. military men and women. Fifteen veterans came to Mississippi to take part in the Trail of Honor. Monday wrapped up a weekend of special events in Jackson, including the Traveling Vietnam Memorial Wall. Ronald Rosser is a sergeant major and two-time Medal of Honor recipient. The 88-year-old tells MPB's Desiree Frazier his service took him all over the world. I served in combat with the American Army, the South Korean Army, the Dutch Army, the, the Turkish Army, and the French Army in combat. How did you manage all of that? I was a forward observer, and they moved me around into, into bed spots, you know. People needed help, they sent me. Did you retire from the service? Yes, ma'am. I retired from the military. Plus, I had two brothers killed in action, one in Korea and one in Vietnam. Plus, my daughter and my granddaughter served in Iraq, and they were both injured there. What does it mean to receive the Medal of Honor and spend your lifetime protecting this nation? Well, ma'am, my mother had 15 children, and she's about to have another one. And uh, when, when it came, it was twins. And I knew then my, I lost my place at the table, so I joined the Army. The uh, best way to explain it, and I spent my life at it. I was, I was gone for many years before I ever went back. The, uh, the Army was my home. So you lived overseas a long time? Yes, ma'am. I was in the occupation of Japan. I was in the occupation of Germany. Uh, the, uh, they sent me to Russia, uh, China, uh, Japan, Korea. In fact, I've been to Korea 15 different times. Uh, the, uh, I, I served in Germany, uh, uh, France, Portugal. The, uh, <laughs> I was a career soldier, ma'am. How many years? I spent 21 years in the Army, and I retired because they wouldn't send me to Vietnam because I had the Medal of Honor. Uh, I was wounded four times, and I had two brothers killed, and they wouldn't send me, so... I retired from the Army. And what did you do after that? The day after I retired, I became a chief of police. And I was a chief of police for several years. 
and then I resigned and became a school teacher. And I taught school in the black community uh, for uh, several years. It was my choice to do it. I figured they needed me more than the other schools. What do you want people to remember about your sacrifice? I, I don't ever think I sacrificed, ma'am. I, uh, to me, uh, it was uh, uh, an absolute pleasure to do what I did. Uh, my job was to protect the lives of about 800 young Americans, and uh, that's what I did, and I was proud that I was able to do it. Army Sergeant Major Ronald Rosser. Dwight Bethany is with Facility Management Services at the VA hospital. He tells MPB's Desiree Fraser why he attended the event. I wanted to come down and talk to, to some more of these people and maybe uh, learn a little bit more about what went on during World War II. What does it mean to have them at your job where you can just come down and have a conversation? Well, to me, it shows that, uh, a lot of respect that they're willing to give up their time, more of their time, to come down here and share the knowledge that they have with us. They take time out of their day to do that. What impresses you? What have you learned that has really stood out? That each, each one of these people is unique, and they were unique in their job, unique in their performance during World War II that helped save countless of lives and help the fact that we are now Americans as we are today. Medical Center employees lined up to get autographs of the visiting veterans. Coming up, a look at Mississippi officials and legislators. How are they rated and what issues are most important to the state's voters? This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On the next In Legal Terms, we'll talk about how to select a lawyer. When do you need a lawyer? How do you check their credentials? And when do you need a specialist? Our show's guest will be Professor Ben Cooper from the University of Mississippi School of Law. In Legal Terms, today at 10 a.m. on MPB Think Radio and on the Internet at mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Some of Mississippi's lawmakers are getting strong reviews from voters and organizations. In its annual ratings of Congress, the American Conservative Union Foundation ranks three members of the Mississippi congressional delegation with scores of 80 percent or higher. The rates are based upon their commitment to conservative principles, as demonstrated by their voting records in the session. Larry Hart is senior policy fellow at ACUF. He tells us why Representatives Trent Kelly and and Greg Harper and Senator Roger Wicker earn top rankings. We look for key votes in the Congress. We do not rate just as some organizations do on specific issues uh, like uh, national defense or pro-life issues. We cover the gamut of uh, what they call the three stools of conservatism, national security, economic issues, and social issues. And out of that, we try to find 25 key votes, sometimes it's one or two less, in each session of Congress, in each year that Congress goes by for the last 47 years, and rate every member of Congress on those issues. So we have two congressmen and one senator that uh, are receiving awards. Let's talk about the House for a moment regarding the difference between, let us say, Congressman Kelly and Congressman Palazzo and, and Harper, there were just a few votes that were different. For example, reduced federal spending. Congresswoman Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee each year has an amendment 
that is to cut 1% out of the federal budget. And in this case, Congressman Kelly and Palazzo voted for that amendment, but uh, Congressman Harper voted against it. You then have one other vote uh, about defunding Amtrak. In that case, Congressman Kelly voted for the amendment to defund Amtrak, and Congressman Harper and Palazzo did not. It's just a few votes like that that made the difference. Stephen Palazzo is the third Republican representative in the state, and he scored somewhere under 80 percent? Just under, 78 percent. I will say that in 2016, he scored 84, so he was on the other side. He did receive a ratings award for that. Uh, He just missed it this year by two points. Also, I would look at the overall career rating. Congressman Palazzo has been in for seven years. His what we call the lifetime rating, which is for all seven years, is just under 83%. So generally, each year he has been on our award list. It just so happens that he just missed it this year. Can we move on to the senators now? Senator Wicker scored above 80%. Can you tell us where Senator Thad Cochran scored? So Senator Cochran scored 78 And then actually that was an improvement because of the the nature of the votes in the Senate for 2017. 2016, which is more where he's been scoring in recent years, was 60%. And Senator Cochran, of course, was chairman of the Senate Appropriations Committee, uh, off and on for a number of years. And primarily his problems with our scoring have come from the fact that he has sort of led the charge to continually increase federal spending over the years uh, as chairman of the Senate Appropriations Committee. And then uh, Senator Wicker, he has in the past also somewhat followed the lead of Senator Cochran this year, uh, received the 80% and received uh, our ratings award for conservative achievement. I will say this about the Senate. It was a very unusual year in this respect. The majority of what the Senate voted on consisted of two things. One was repealing the draconian Obama regulatory regime through the congressional review process. The other part of it was confirmation, confirmation of Neil Gorsuch to the Supreme Court, confirmation of other members of the cabinet, such as Betsy DeVos for education. Looking ahead, what's going to be the priority? Uh, I think one of the, uh, the ways that we rate is a little bit different from some others. We don't decide what's going to be the key votes to rate until after the session is over. And then we take a look and see on balance what were the key votes. But it's really going to come down to how can people tell how people are voting in Congress, perhaps as opposed to what they might be saying back home. So key votes on, on wasteful spending, key votes on life of the unborn, key votes on confirmations. We have uh, continued to have a problem with total obstruction of anybody that the president has nominated for judges, for various positions. It's been a very long process, and that we consider also very key. Larry Hart is the senior policy fellow for the American Conservative Union Foundation. Larry, thank you so much for being with us. Good to be with you. Thanks, Karen. Back in the state, the Millsaps College Chisholm Strategies State of the State survey shows Mississippi voters are slightly more upbeat about the direction of the state than in previous months. They also strongly approve of the performance of Republican Governor Phil Bryant and Attorney General Jim Hood, a Democrat. Kenneth Townsend is Assistant Professor of Political Science and an author on the report. He tells us how they administered the survey. 
The most recent Chisholm Strategies Millsap State of the State survey was conducted at the very end of March and uh, included a sample size of 603 voters, uh, 67% were landline, 33% cell phone. The margin of error is plus or minus four percentage points. We feel pretty confident in the results that we've received. We've got good partners who know what they're doing. We're trying to get a representative sample based on age, you know, political orientation, various other demographic factors so that we have a pretty decent handle on the accuracy of the poll. And we've also tried to have some continuity across time as well. So if you look at the past surveys, we have consistently assessed the approval ratings of Governor Bryant, Lieutenant Governor Reeves, and Attorney General Hood. Other than that, we've mixed it up a bit. Let's take those three then. Right. How do their rankings this time compare to previous very similarly, we've seen consistent results over the last three surveys. Governor Bryant and Attorney General Hood are pretty popular. They both have approval ratings of around 55%. Uh, in the last one, Hood was at 55 and Bryant was at 54 their disapproval ratings. Bryant's disapproval has been consistently higher. So if you're looking at net approval, which consists of those who say that the person is doing a good job and then subtracting out those who say that he's doing a bad job, Hood has consistently the highest overall net approval rating. What about Lieutenant Governor Tate Reeves? His have consistently been lower in the surveys that we've done. His approval ratings have been somewhere in the upper 30s in most of the polls that we've done with approval ratings just barely disapproval ratings just a bit below that let's talk about the issues now sure what are those surveyed saying are the biggest issues or concerns facing mississippians so one of the things we've done with each of these now three polls is we've included a question that lists several different policy priorities where voters can indicate what do they think is most important for those working in Jackson to address. And the options include, I'm going to read the full list, reducing the size of state government, fixing roads and bridges, giving tax incentives and grants for companies that create jobs, making health care more accessible and affordable, more funding for public schools, more funding for universities and community colleges, protecting traditional family values, or other. As you see from those options, there are several different things that people can choose from, things that tend to be more associated with conservative politicians and policies in the Republican Party, some that tend to be more associated with Democrats and more liberal-leaning policies and priorities. What we have seen in each of these polls from September, January, and now April, the number one priority that voters have noted is fixing roads and bridges. This is an area where it does seem like the concerns of the voters have not been addressed very adequately, to be honest, by the legislature. This is consistently outlined as. So the they top said party. this before the legislative session, right. as the legislative session was beginning, and now after. Right. And this is one of the reasons why we did the surveys at the times that we did, is we wanted to, a few months before the legislative session, get a sense of what voters were thinking. Then we did one right as the legislative session was beginning, the first week of the legislative session, and then just as the legislative session ended, the week or so after it concluded. And it's interesting that there hasn't really been a lot of movement. Uh, the fixing roads and bridges has, has, in each of these instruments that we've conducted, been the top priority. And then the next two top priorities have uh, been making health care more accessible and affordable and more funding for public schools. And those have 
consistently been two and three, but they've flipped back and forth between two and three in the polls that we've done. And when you look at what the legislature did in this 2018 legislative session, these are the things that voters, at least according to our poll, are saying they're most concerned about. But it doesn't seem to have necessarily bubbled up to the level of of legislative action. Having said that, did you ask those who were surveyed, whether the legislature was successful? Right. So we did do a legislature approval rating. And what we saw is that if if you look at the September 17 poll, this was presumably them reflecting on the past legislative session, 27 percent approved. In the January 18 poll, 26 percent approved. And in the April 18 poll, 30 percent approved. So all very close. I would say somewhere in around 30 percent or just below of the state has approved of the work of the legislature, according to our poll. The disapproval numbers have been 45, 38, 41. So what we are showing, and according to our poll, is that a a greater number of, of Mississippians are disapproving than approving of the work of the legislature, which isn't that surprising in certain respects if you assume that the values and concerns of the voters such as fixing roads and bridges, are in fact their most serious concerns and are not getting addressed by the legislature. You would expect them to be somewhat unsatisfied. Well, I know you've asked a lot more, and we just can't cover everything here. So where can people see the survey? Sure. We have this information on the Millsaps website. If you Google Millsaps, Chisholm Strategies, Survey, it'll be the first hit that pops up. And our our goal is to continue doing this. We hope on about a quarterly basis to help provide information for uh, What's going on in the state? Kenneth Townsend is an assistant professor of political science at Millsaps College. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks, Karen. Always good to be here. Coming up, as Mississippians turn to water recreation to cool down, find out where researchers say many people are at risk. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you're a sustaining member of MPB Think Radio, we appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, Go to mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Nearly 1,000 children drown each year in the U.S. That's according to a new study by Safe Kids Worldwide. The report shows fatal drowning occurs most often in open waters, such as lakes, rivers, and the ocean, not in swimming pools. Researchers also found African-American children are twice as likely to drown in open water as white children, and the risk is highest among teenage boys. Morag Mackay is the lead author of the report. She tells MPB's Ashley Norwood parents should start children in swim lessons as young as four. Memorial Day weekend is not that far away, and it's really the unofficial start to summer. And the minute you start talking about summer, you start thinking about families heading out to have fun in the water. And so it's you know, a really good time of year for us to stop and just think about water safety. And we did a report looking at pool safety a couple of years ago. And so this year, we really wanted to focus on open water, which we define as both natural water, like lakes, rivers, the ocean, as well as man-made open water. And that's things like uh, retention ponds, uh, reservoirs, or irrigation canals, all of which um, result in drownings in children every single year. So why is it important to kind of shift gears? Because I guess normally when you think about drowning, we do sort of think about the pools first. Um, So why is it important to also talk about open water? 
Yeah, I think you're right. I think we hear a lot about children drowning in pools, but in fact, more children drown in open water than they do in pools. It's, um, you know, it's not a huge difference, but it's it's more than in pools. And I think one of the other things is that um, risk changes as kids get older. So one in four children, uh, very young children will drown in open water. But by the time you get up to, say, a 10 to 14-year-old, they're three times more likely to drown in open water than a pool. And once you start talking about older teenagers, 15 to 19, that goes up to eight times more likely to drown in open water than a pool. So, um, you know, I think as children get older, there's maybe a little less supervision or maybe a little more risk-taking. And so as a result, they're just at increased risk. Is it that they don't know how to swim? I mean, what is it? It's a combination of things, I think. We really recommend that all parents consider swimming lessons for children starting in particular at ages four and above. And certainly when we look at some of the groups that are at greatest risk for open water drowning, and within our study it was African-American children and American Indians and Alaskan Natives, and there is research to suggest that those populations may be less likely to learn how to swim. And so that's probably part of it. Um, I think, as I said, as kids get a little bit older, there's maybe a little less supervision. But then the other thing is open water is actually more dangerous than a pool in some ways. There are a number of things that cause that. First, limited visibility. If you've ever gone in a river or a lake, sometimes they're crystal clear, but not so often. So as soon as you've got you know, um, less visibility, then you have the chance of somebody not seeing things like rocks or logs or big drop-offs. And then if someone does get in trouble in the water, it's you know, less likely that you're going to see them if the water's not clear. We also know that in a pool you have depth markings and you know how wide or how long the pool is, but when you get into open water, it's really easy to very quickly swim further out than you think you are and and be challenged at getting back in. Uh, And so your child might be able to touch the bottom and then, you know, just walk or swim a couple of feet and suddenly be past a drop-off and then not be able to touch bottom anymore and panic. So it's just not as um, predictable. We also have things in rivers and the ocean like currents or tides where, you know, if the child gets caught in a current, you know, it can be really scary and they can get into trouble quite quickly. We also know that a lot of people have heated pools. Well, open water is typically colder and it just saps your energy more quickly and you get tireder. And so that can also put kids at risk, particularly if they're, you know, weak swimmers. Uh, And then the last one, of course, is you're out in the natural world. And so weather and seasonal differences, you know, a body of water that's quite safe, like a river or um, one minute after a torrential rain can, you know, get faster and deeper and suddenly become much riskier. So there are some differences there, some hidden hazards that we really think people need to be thinking about before they start swimming in those locations. With your research, is any of that by region or by state? One of the things about the South is it has a longer swimming season maybe than some of the northern locations, but there are lots of lakes and rivers down there. I don't have specific numbers for Mississippi, but I do know that, you know, there definitely are a lot of kids living out in rural areas with access to this sort of open water, so it's definitely a risk. So we really recommend to families that they use designated swimming or recreational areas whenever possible. So instead of just, you know, picking the water hole around the corner sort of thing, really look for those designated swimming areas 
usually a professional's gone in and assessed it. There's often signage there that talks about what the hazards are and what to avoid. Um, and, you know, some of them actually have lifeguards as well, which is another layer of protection that you, you don't have in all locations. We talked about swimming lessons, but the other thing is just really ensuring that parents are watching kids when they're in and around water. Young children and inexperienced swimmers in particular stay close or have them in a a life jacket so that they're not at risk. And we always talk, even if you've got an older child who you think is a strong swimmer, remember open water can be different and really tell them to never swim alone. They should have a partner every time they go out swimming. Morg Mackay is the author of Report Hidden Hazards, an Exploration of Open Water Drowning and Risks for Children. Uh, Morg, thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure, Ashley. Thank you. Mackay also suggests people learn water rescue skills and CPR. Michelle Katzen is Aquatics Director with the Gulf Coast YMCA. She suggests everyone be vigilant. It happens so quickly, you know, so our guards have to be on point and watch and make sure that doesn't happen. The report is available at safekids.org. Coming up next at 9 o'clock, Money Talks at 10 in legal terms and at 11, Southern Remedies, relatively speaking. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, working to prepare the next generation.